Waiting isn't something that is fun, is it? It's not. Inigo Montoya, what did he say? I hate waiting, right? We know this. All of us, all of us hate waiting, but most of us are waiting and praying for something. And probably happened for a while. Is anybody, can anybody say they have been, okay? So common things that people are waiting and praying for. A spouse. A spouse to get their acts together. You don't have to raise your hands on these. I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Please don't raise your hands. That's not a good idea. A career change. A child. A child to come home. A lot of us have dreams or things that we've held on to for a long time. We've, we've asked God about that, and then we've asked God again about that, and then we've asked God again about that. And then we ask God again about that. And then again, and the months add up and the years add up. And it's not a fun thing. So I want you to take a moment. Let's just close your eyes for a second. Let me ask you, what is the thing you're waiting for? Just let that come to mind. Okay. Like we said, nobody loves waiting, but I think the people who struggle with it the most might be those who have already received some breakthrough in the past or an answer to prayer. You know what I mean? It's, it's one thing to wait and not really think anything can come. It's another thing when you believe that God does answer prayer and maybe you've seen him answer prayer and then suddenly it's extra difficult. Uh, two weeks ago, Joshua, who's on vacation uh, this week and next week, so as always, when the cat is away, he read from Philippians chapter four, which is the centerpiece of this, this negativity uh, fast that we are uh, we're doing. And I want to revisit Philippians 4 uh, this morning, but not just yet. Uh, there's backstory to Philippians 4 that is, it's just amazing. I, I love the, you know, each, each of the epistles has like an origin story. And a lot of them you can actually find in the book of Acts. This is one of my favorite things to do in studying the Bible is, is you see a letter that Paul wrote or one of the others, but typically Paul. And then you can sometimes find where he visited those people, sometimes where he established that church, and it sheds all kinds of light onto what he's telling them. So Acts chapter 16 is where we have the origin story to the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul, <laughs> Paul didn't even want to go to Philippi. <laughs> he went kind of against his will. He was traveling, he was planting churches, he was doing all this stuff. Where he wanted to go was Ephesus, which was in the province of Asia. But God said, no, we don't know how, we don't have details. The Holy Spirit just said, no. And then he's like, well, maybe I can go to Phrygia. And no, that also no. And so he's like, well, what am I supposed to do? So he goes to sleep, and God gives him a dream. And in this dream, there's this man from Macedonia I don't know how he knew he was from Macedonia. Maybe at first it was his clothes. Maybe he had an accent in the dream. I don't know. Or maybe it was because he literally said, come to Macedonia to help us. Maybe that was it. Kind of a, kind of a giveaway. He says, come to Macedonia and help us. So Paul wakes up and goes, well, that was weird. I did not have that on my calendar. Macedonia was in Europe. He hadn't gone to Europe before. It was in Greece. And he gets excited, and he tells his companions, he's with Silas, 
Uh, Luke was with him here at some point as well, and maybe others. They get on a ship, and they, they travel across uh, the Aegean Sea, and they, they come to Greece, and they come to Macedonia, and they go to the town of Philippi. Now, what Paul generally does when he comes into a town, a new place, is he looks for the synagogue. He looks for the place where the, the, there are Jewish believers who are already meeting. And he goes and then tells him his history as a Pharisee and how he met Jesus Christ uh, and, and all of these things. But there is no synagogue here. So he asks around and he finds out that there is a prayer meeting on the Sabbath that these women go to every week by the river. And so he crashes the prayer meeting. And he, he tells them all about Jesus. And this woman, Lydia, who is the leader of this prayer meeting, she, she's this really, you know, apparently wealthy uh, business owner. He meets her and she says, yes, and her whole family is baptized. And so suddenly we have a church, don't we? We have the first community of believers that we know of in, uh, in Greece and in in the, whole, the whole country. So that would be, you know, that's a nice story. Oh, okay, that's an origin story. All right, that's nice. That's fine, isn't it? It's just fine. I mean, there was a little bit of, there was the dream. That's kind of cool, but the rest is a little dull, isn't it? Except what happens next. Because they hang out in Philippi for a while. And one day when these guys are going out to their place of prayer, they get interrupted. They get interrupted by this girl who starts shrieking and screaming at them. And Paul recognizes, okay, this young lady is afflicted by an evil spirit. She also was a, she was a fortune teller. She was working for these men who recognized she had this strange, weird gift and so they, they, she was, she was their, their meal ticket. Well, with her spiritual sensitivity, she recognized there was something strange about Paul, and she would scream about it, and she was following them around, just screaming to everyone about it. And finally, you know, <laughs> Paul put up with it for a couple of days. But on the third day, it says Paul was greatly annoyed. It's a very human thing right there. I, there's no way I would have lasted three days. I would have been out right away. And he, he turns and he says, in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the spirit comes out. I would kind of like to ask him, well, why didn't you do this earlier? Like, that could have, but I don't know. There's things we can't see there. And the spirit comes out of her and she's free. Now, that would be wonderful, right? That's great. This young lady is free, except the people who make money on her are very upset. You know what they do? They call the police. <laughs> they say, literally, they call the police. They have Paul and Silas arrested and beaten. Like, good grief, you guys. What an overreaction. Well, Paul could have gotten out of the beating, too, and he, he didn't. Well, that's, a different, that's, a, that's a different story right there. But him and Silas are beaten within an inch of their lives and then thrown into prison, put in stocks. I mean, this is like a serious, serious punishment for, you know, setting this young lady free. Wow. Now, I'm way off my notes, but you know what? Who cares? Okay. Um, now, I want you to just imagine that you are part of this, this brand new church, Okay. 
What are you doing right now? You just saw the man who, who told you all about Jesus, this, this, oh, this God made flesh who died and rose again and your entire world is changing. You have this new community of believers and it's the church and it's wonderful. And then suddenly this guy who you love dearly has just been arrested wrongly and beaten unjustly and is now in like the dungeon. What are you doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm sending text messages. Pray for Paul. What do we do? We're texting Janelle. Janelle, where do we go? Who's praying? Okay, there's a prayer meeting over here and over here and over here, and then we're all going to those places, right? Don't you think that's what would be happening? I, I, I don't know, because the, the narrative doesn't follow what's happening with the rest of them, but I have to believe that people were crying out to God for Paul's deliverance. It's a very intense moment. Please, Lord, set them free. Now, here's what happens. They're having this prayer meeting. They're over in the house of Lydia, I presume. She's got a nice place. She kind of over-decorates with purple, but we'll let her go with that. <laughs> They're all praying late into the night. And just as some of them are falling asleep, the ground starts to shake. Now, Greece is situated right on some tectonic plates where they come together. So they're used to earthquakes, maybe. So I imagine them getting up and running into, you know, standing under the doorways, you know. Okay, everybody, just hang with it. It's okay. And, you know, a lamp falls down and people are like, see if this night couldn't get any worse. First Paul gets arrested and now an earthquake. But then a few minutes later, there's a knock at the door. How's that sound effect? Do you guys get that? They open the door, and there's this man. He's got two black eyes. He's got scrapes all over his face, and he's got a big, dumb grin on his face. It's Paul, and Silas is with him, and he looks just as bad. And Paul says, hey, anybody want to go to a baptism? <laughs> and they turn. They see this old Roman man holding a sword going, Here's what happened. For if you don't know the story, here's what happened. That earthquake, that earthquake was felt in the jail. It was a lot. I think it was a very, very localized earthquake. So pew, it was very, you know, surgical earthquake here. And it, it, it Paul and Silas's chains fall off of them and the doors of the prison fling open. And they're like, sweet, now they had not been crying out and screaming at God. They had been singing songs. They had worked their way through Chris Tomlin's entire catalog. <laughs> and they got, they got again to how great is our God the second time around. And suddenly the earthquake came. Now, so they're like, sweet, woo, they're high-fiving. And as they're leaving that open door, they see the jailer and the jailer's like, oh no. He was probably a soldier who had been retired and had been given this sort of easy post. Um, and he sees the doors flung open. He's like, the, the, the prisoners escaped. I'm going to be utterly shamed. I could even be executed. I'm not going to let it come to that. He's on the verge of taking his own life. So great is the shame. And Paul goes to Silas. Psst, ah, ah. Hey! Hey, Brutus! His name had to be Brutus, right? 
Brutus, we're here, bud. Hey, we're here. We're here. And he sees they're here. He's been listening to their singing, too. He thinks they're crazy until now. And he drops his sword and says, what do I have to do to be saved? Brutus and his his entire household are baptized in the middle of the night. Now, you guys, that is a church origin story. Can you imagine being a part of the Philippian church and telling that story over and over again? And every time it gets better, every time you're more excited about it, it's just mind-bogglingly absurd. And they live with that story. They remember Paul's example of singing praise to God in the middle of a really terrible circumstance. And that draws their heart to them. When you read Paul's letter to these people, you will notice a greater affection than than anywhere else in any of his letters. He adores this church. And they adore him. And it's just so strong. The language is so, it's, it's just like they're all sitting around a campfire. And he's going, man, I love you guys. We love you too, man. That's what this letter is. But here's the thing. The letter is coming at a very ironic time. Do you know why? Because Paul is writing from prison. He's in prison again. And he's been there a long time. I think if you had seen him, if you had been a part of that first instance, you'd been a part of that prayer meeting, the lesson is very easy to learn. The lesson is you cry out to God and God breaks the chains. That's the lesson. You cry out to God and God breaks the chains and you roll with that, you guys. You, you roll with that. You have evidence that that happens. But now your guy Paul has been in prison for years and you've been crying out and God hasn't broken the chains. This, this letter, you know what he's doing in this letter? He's cheering them up. Because they really, really want him to be free. And he's not free. And he knows they're torn up inside about it. So the entire letter, the man who is in prison is cheering up everyone else. Have you guys ever been around someone who didn't have long to live? You go and visit them in the hospital and hospice care. And they end up encouraging you the entire time. I have. That's what's happening here. God has not broken the chains yet. So Paul encourages them with lines like this. This is Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. See? And then he goes and tells them all the ways this is happening. And then in verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by 
whether by life or by death. I mean, look at even the way he phrased that. I know this will turn out for my deliverance. I know that you praying for me will turn out for my deliverance. Whether by life or by death. (laughs) You see what he's doing? He's trying to cheer them up, but at the same time, let them know the reality of the situation, that their prayers for him might not be answered. Not in the way they want. They have been waiting and waiting and waiting, and God has not come through. So he cheers them up with this beautiful, very bittersweet letter. So I want you to imagine here for a moment that this is somebody dear to you, writing from the middle of a prison, an unjust imprisonment, and you've been praying for them. Just listen, listen to the words here, if you can put yourself in that place and imagine that. Here's what he says. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. That's heavy. You see, if you've seen God move before, it can be harder to wait for him to move again, especially if he came through quickly last time, you know? It can make it all the more difficult. The prayers you prayed last time might not have the same effects. Everything might be different. You might never get the thing you're praying for. So here's the question. How are we supposed to wait? How are we supposed to wait? How are, how are you waiting for that thing that you're holding on to, that you've been crying out to God? I'm going to read this verse again, this time from Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase in the message. And this time, don't listen as if you're a member of the Philippian church. Instead, hold on to that thing that you're waiting for that you already identified. Just hold on to that. And listen with that in mind. You can close your eyes if that helps. Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, walking with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minutes. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Let's stay with Peterson now. He's going to get to the next verse, the one that Joshua had read. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, Gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, 
what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Isn't that beautiful? But make no mistake, this is hard. You might even think, if you didn't know Paul's history, that these are a whole bunch of empty platitudes. Oh, oh, you sound like someone who's never suffered. (laughs) No. You're probably writing this from a sandy beach. Actually... Paul suffered right in front of the recipients of this letter. He says, put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. What did the thing, what, what, what did they see from him? What was that thing? It was rejoicing in the midst of hardship. Rejoicing in the waiting. It's not easy. Paul knows it's not easy. But joy really can be the posture of anyone who is waiting for God to shake the earth and bring breakthrough. It really can be our posture, you guys. What is the posture that, that you're taking as you're waiting for that, for that relationship or for that child or for that spouse? What is your relationship as you're waiting that thing you've been crying out, that healing, that restoration, the return of that child, for that career change, for that feeling that what you're doing in your life actually matters. What's your posture as you're waiting for those things? If you've been miserable, If you've been stuck there, fixated on that thing that you desperately want, I want you to see Paul's words as an invitation. You really do have the opportunity to experience joy in the midst of all the unfinished business. There's a way to wait that isn't fixated or frantic. Back to Paul in the New King James here, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content Whatever state I am in, to be content. Oh, friends, we need this word. We need this virtue, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. People put that last verse on their basketball shoes. God can help me make this three-pointer. Well, okay. Truth is a little, a little greater than that, actually. 
I can be content in any situation because I got him. I might not even have the things I'm asking him for, but I have him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter how hard things get, no matter how many prayers are left hanging and unanswered, Paul says he can be content even in the waiting. And so can we. The greatest desire in my life is one that I haven't tried to hide. The greatest desire in my whole adult life has been to know my son's thoughts. If you're visiting, I'm talking about my 18-year-old, Jack. He said it was okay if we shared this story this morning. Um, Jack has non-speaking autism and apraxia. Most of you know the backstory. Most of you know the updates. Um, Many of you guys have, have read my book in which I talked all about my whole journey. But let me tell you in a nutshell what happened. I got very depressed in Jack's early years. I got depressed because I I wanted to share life with him. I wanted to converse with him. I wanted to know his thoughts. I dabble in words a lot. And I wanted to share that with him. And uh, I wanted him to understand our love and to really know him. So I prayed and we prayed and you all prayed. And for years, everybody prayed, you know. Lord, like, ah, Please bring a breakthrough in communication. Bring language. And for a while, we would see a little bit of growth, you know. We'd see some new phrases pop up or some just new things, and, and then all, they would dissipate, and we wouldn't understand. And, and then it would get very long and very exhausting to keep praying through those things. God was not breaking through. We waited and waited. And eventually, I realized that I couldn't stay in a place of intense prayer all the time. I realized that actually it wasn't helping. That might seem blasphemous to some of you because we're in church and prayer is good. But there was, there was something about this that it's like, mm, this is no longer a blessing. This is no longer a benefit the way that I was doing this. I would say, Lord, please break through. Give him language. And the more I stuck there, the more obvious that perceived lack became. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're fixating so much on one breakthrough when the thing hasn't broken through, and then it gets heavier and heavier to carry. It was only showing what I didn't have. Like, I realized I had to stop fixating there. Uh, Another... Another autism dad told me this. He says, it would be a shame to miss what would happen because you're too busy focused on what won't happen. You see what I'm saying? There comes a time when you need to stop praying like that. I'm not saying we stop praying, but maybe to totally change the way we pray instead of slamming at the heavens all day and long like you're supposed to stay in this place of travail. I don't think that's true anymore. And I don't think Paul is telling us to do that. I was in danger of missing the joys around me because I was too focused on the thing that I didn't have. So I knew I needed to learn some new... (laughs) I I needed some new tools, as we say now. 
I needed to learn to celebrate, to rejoice in the Lord in the waiting. And since the big thing I was praying for wasn't happening, I started celebrating the small things. And you know what? I realized there's a whole lot of small things to celebrate. Little small bursts of light communication. And sometimes it wasn't about communication at all. It was just like, oh, man, he's in such a good mood today. He gave me a high five today. Yes. Celebrating those things. Celebrating other things that didn't have to do particularly with him. Maybe it was other things in my family. There's other little things to celebrate that might seem insignificant. But that's only because we've deemed them to be insignificant in relation to the other thing. There are many Wonderful, small things in your life that are worth saying, thank you, Jesus. And they are worth having a pointless party over. So I started celebrating small victories. And I knew that that was not enough. There was more that I needed to do. Because sometimes, you know, you're praying with people and... They have this awesome breakthrough. And that could easily tempt me to despair or to envy or to cynicism or being really upset with God that they got their thing and why didn't I? So I decided, you know what I need to do is actually enter into their celebration without envy and without resentment. That's a hard thing to do at first, I'm going to tell you. But I realized I needed to import joy into my life. And so I did. I started to borrow from other people's joy. And that meant I had to open myself up, you know? That meant I had to actually be with people when I didn't want to be with people. I'm sometimes still not very good at that. I have to get my wife and say, go out with the guys. Or hear Janelle say, go do it, dummy. And in doing those things, that opened my heart up to be able to receive joy from some other outlets. You see what I'm saying? In other words, little by little, I started to embrace what Paul was saying, to rejoice. In the middle of the waiting, to rejoice. I wasn't always good at it. My wife can tell you that but I got a lot better at it. And you guys, I'm so glad I did. I am so glad because you guys know what's happened in recent months. The Lord has answered our prayers in the most unexpected way. And we discovered that Jack has actually been understanding everything we've ever said to him, that he does have language, but his body just can't turn that language into words in the normal way. But he's learned to communicate those deep thoughts one letter at a time through this thing. This thing right here. This board. Letters. This is my favorite inanimate object on the planet. This has rocked our world, you guys, in the best possible way. We discovered that he's not only intelligent, he's also a young man of incredible depth and emotional maturity. I haven't shared a tenth of the stuff that he's actually said. 
Some of it's just internal stuff, you know? It's his world, and we're sharing it together. I have been floored by the maturity that this young man has. He's told us how incredibly frustrating it's been trapped inside his own body and not being able to communicate. Can you even imagine that? It breaks my heart. For 17 years, he's been waiting just to be understood. I can't even imagine that. I can't imagine. He was waiting. So how did he wait? Well, here's how he waited. He told us in that letter that we showed in the video, right? When he wrote the letter to Christ Center, he said this, I must answer to God about celebrating every day despite my autistic body. That's a sermon right there. To celebrate every day. There's so many times, so many times when he'll just be laughing or he'll, he'll be jumping up and down and something's getting and we always wonder, wonder what that is. And I wonder how many times if he's just saying, thank you, Lord. So many things I, I am so excited to keep finding out. But that is one of the greatest testimonies I've ever seen of somebody waiting and waiting with contentment and celebration. And I am so proud of that guy, and I want to be like him when I grow up. <clears throat> Worship team, can you guys come back? So I don't know whether you will ever have that kind of breakthrough and that kind of shocking answer to prayer like we've had. I hope that you do, but I don't know. The question isn't, will that ever happen? That's above my pay grade. The question for us today is, how will we wait? How will we be found waiting? We really can be content. Paul's secret for that, and apparently my son's secret, is to choose to celebrate today. Regardless of what's going to happen, whether or not we ever reach that horizon that we desperately want to reach. We can choose to celebrate today. I'm not suggesting you stop praying. Paul tells us to make our requests be known to the Lord. Do that. Make them known and then celebrate what is. Celebrate what is where you currently are. There are always things to find to celebrate today. Maybe they have to be small things. Maybe things you have to borrow. Maybe there's a whole bunch that's right in front of you. We can't afford to live in a world that where, where, where we're constantly obsessing over the greener grass on the other side of breakthrough. That's not helping any of us anymore, is it? Can you attest to that? It's not helping us, is it? So we're going to sing this song. Can we have the ushers come? We're going to disp uh, dispense communion as well as we do this. So just sit with this as we sing this first verse and this comes around. You can sing or you can just sit with it. Sit with this longing that you have 
You're probably longing for a very good thing, but just sit with it. Go ahead, Nick. 